Welcome to the Institute of Men podcast, where we are figuring out what kind of men we want to be and pursuing that vision relentlessly for the rest of our lives. We derive wisdom from what is ancient, traditional, and from the greatest men in history. My name is Keaton Tucker, and I want to thank you for listening. Today, we are talking about why America remains exceptional and how the president of El Salvador can give us hope. If you're new to the podcast or you just haven't hit that subscribe button, go ahead and do that now. And if you'd be so kind, leave a five-star review. If you want to get into heaven, leave a comment. It is guaranteed entrance into heaven if you leave a comment on your favorite listening app. Thank you for listening and supporting the Institute of Men. Welcome to the Institute of Men podcast. My name is Keaton Tucker. Like I said in the intro, I hope you are doing well today. Uh, whatever day that you are listening to this podcast, I'm up here in the freezing cold attic. I can't wait until the spring comes so that I can record in a warmer attic. But then, of course, the summer will come and it will be a bazillion degrees up here. And I'll be telling you about my me sweating through my T-shirt as I record these podcasts. But I, like I said, I do hope you are doing well. I am excited for today's episode. Normally on this podcast... We talk about you know things that are very Christian. They tend to be very Christian or uh, about Christian men or you know all you know just all sorts of stuff. But today, I actually want to talk about uh, America. I want to talk about why I believe America remains exceptional. And this this podcast was actually it came from a conversation that I was having in a group text with a guy who just seemed kind of defeated. And there are a lot of reasons, which we're going to talk about today in this podcast, to feel like the the USA is over. It feels like things are going downhill quicker than we can imagine. There are there is nothing that we can do about it. All seems inevitable or hopeless and and, and there's but I I don't think so. And I don't think so uh, because of the reasons I'm going to talk about today, but also there is currently a story happening in El Salvador that is a monumental moment in world history. And we're going to talk about the president of El Salvador, who, if I were to make a guess, will probably go down as one of the greatest presidents in world history because of what he has done in El Salvador. It's, It's unbelievable. And if they can do it there, we can, we are going to be okay. Like I assure you we're going to be okay, but we'll get to that. But first the conversation I had, it went something like this. The guy in the group text, he'd said American culture sucks and the American church is weak. And I, you know, I, I just don't like that kind of defeatist mentality. And so I shot back with some statistics about the good Christians do in the USA. Like Christians are, or for example, I should say Christians are the number one response team to tragedy, to natural disasters. It's almost always Christians who leave their homes and go help. Christians lead the United States in giving. They like we lead the Christians lead in a lot of ways in this country. So to say the church is weak because it doesn't live up to some you know, kind of imagined standard that you might perceive. And, and you know, you know, we got plenty of problems. You got people leaving church all the time. You have churches closing the like churches, like on, if all denominations are kind of shrinking and you're get what you are getting is, uh, the bloat, you're getting the extra, you are getting the people who are not nominally Christian and you're getting the people who are devout Christians. So you're going to actually see 
a stronger church because it won't be so uh, obese, you could say. Um, but I, so I, I shot back with that and I shot back with some stuff about the USA and I said, American culture is in a rough spot. Absolutely. We're in a rough spot, but our culture remains exceptional compared to anyone else. Pick the country. America remains exceptional relative to that country. There's actually a whole study of U.S. history called American exceptionalism. If you look up what American exceptionalism is, it's actually a deeply held belief that America is exceptional in the world because of its governmental structure, because of its founding, because of its churches, because of what it has brought to the world. It's a very, very interesting study on American history, and it doesn't, American exceptionalism, exceptionalism doesn't blot out the stains of our country. Not, not at all, but it recognizes that what we have here can wash away those stains, learn from them and move on. If people will actually let us move on. So I, I, I brought that up to him and, and he shot back and he said, it absolutely isn't. And in our conversation, he used this word absolutely frequently, which told me just shared about the level of you know, defeat that this guy had. It absolutely isn't. And then he listed off a bunch of our cultural problems, including porn, wokeism, abortion, sexual deviance, and even the phrase, everyone is fat, which not everyone is fat. We have, you know, some weight problems in the country. But so I pointed out to him that I, I pushed back and I said, these are most of the sins that you just listed are sins of prosperity. They're unique sins. But that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't mean that they're less than or by any means. It's not what I'm saying. But I was like, those are sins of prosperity. And I said, we have an abortion problem, but we aren't even in the top 10 in the world. Like, it's not even close. If you Google top 10 abortion countries in the world, America's not in the top 10. Russia's actually number one. And that's because Christians have fought hard for life. The March for Life just happened in March. I don't know how many people were there. But usually it's hundreds of thousands of people descend on Washington to march for life. And Roe was overturned in large measure because of Christian efforts. And then also thanks to President Donald Trump, who put in judges who are all Christian, by the way, who um, who overturned Roe, which was the right thing to do because it was a very it's a. I wrote about this in college. It was a terribly argued case. So I pointed that out to him. And I was like, since overturning Roe, 64,000 babies have been saved. Porn is a problem, but it is a it is turning downward. I don't know if you've ever seen. There's this website, horrible porn website, that's in multiple lawsuits because of efforts of Christians. And like porn is actually on the decline. It could could it be better? Yes. Should it be abs- should it be outlawed? Yes. There are people working very hard, again, Christians, to make sure that that stuff is not destroying our society. As for sexual deviance of all kinds, companies who continue to push this stuff are losing market share at a, at a rapid rate. Hashtag Target, hashtag Bud Light. You're going to get, you, you get, if you push too hard, you're going to get crushed. And, you know, so I, I pointed on all that stuff out and we just kept going and he stuck to his guns. He admitted my points, but he said, it sucks and it's going to get worse. And it was, the level, like I said, the level of defeat that struck me, we must, because I don't think we need to lose heart about our circumstances at the present moment. You shouldn't lose heart about any circumstances because if you lose heart, if you lose vision, if you live a sense of, if you lose a sense of hope, everything gets weightier and more difficult. And it actually think you will actually allow the, the decline to continue. 
So yes, cultural problems abound in the United States. Decades of lawsuits have turned civil rights into its own constitution and created political correctness. I'm sure you've heard of political correctness. Political correctness came with the force of the law. Say the wrong thing and by, you know, who decided what. (coughs) Excuse me. Say the wrong thing by rules that you and I, you can't even keep up with. And this has been going on for a while. And a lawsuit could be filed and it could ruin your life. Absolutely ruin your life. I've done an episode on here about the Masterpiece Cake Shop. He refused business to the wrong people. Civil rights law came down on him, and he's been in court ever since. Uh, You should go listen to that episode. Civil rights law transformed over the last 50 years. It became from a defender against atrocity to a perpetrator of atrocity. Just, uh, I think it was last week, six people were sentenced to prison in 11 years because they sat in front of the entrance to peacefully protest an abortion clinic. One of the ladies who was sentenced to prison, I'm not kidding, was 84 years old. And they sentenced her to 11 years in prison. Most of the people who were there were young. She was the oldest. Most of them were uh, under 35. 11 years in in prison for a sit-in protest. And I think it's good to remind ourselves when we see something like that, that it was a sit-in protest that was a core event in the civil rights movement leading to the Civil Rights Act. Now, that same act that, you know, that over helped overturn or excuse me, overturned laws that viewed certain people as less than human is now being used against sitters protesting against laws that view certain people as less than human. Unborn babies. So these these gentlemen back in, I believe it was 19, I want to say 1964, I want to, I think, I, I can't quite remember. These four college students sat in at a diner in North Carolina and they, by the Jim Crow laws, they could not sit in there and they thought, this is unjust. We're going to peacefully protest. We're going to sit in here. And it turned into a nationwide movement where people would go, uh, you know, black Americans would go into sit at places in the South where they were not allowed. And it was this peaceful protest. And that was one, it was a big catalyst in the civil rights movement. And now if you do a sit in protest, civil rights law will come down on you and put you in prison for 11 years. Think about the turn that happened with that civil rights law when you start adding political correctness and using it very differently than it was intended to be used. We also, should those people have been in prison? No, but we should also remind ourselves that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jail on earth, but kingdom in heaven. That's a pretty good trade-off for doing what is right. And events like these, these have happened over the years, not just recently, but these have happened over the years, you know, really taking off in the, like the 80s. Events like these have caused many people to self-censor out of fear of having their lives torn apart while, the, while what I would call the curse of political correctness tore through this country. It did not matter if you were silent. Eventually, somebody would catch you on camera saying the wrong thing. And then we all watched as lives got destroyed for people saying the wrong thing. Political correctness has had the force of the law for at least four decades. There was a guy named Al Campanis. He played with Jackie Robinson in the MLB back in the 40s and 50s. And then he was the manager of the Dodgers in 1987. He went on late night TV and somebody asked him a question like, why aren't there more black managers in the MLB? 
and he's he just he's that he wasn't prepared for this kind of answer and also when he wasn't aware that he's living in a politically correct world where whatever he said was going to be used against him and he said something to the effect of i don't know if if they're cut out for managing the mlb and then the guy got who was interviewing him pushed back and he again this guy he is not prepared he starts blabbling blabbling like i'm blabbling he starts babbling and saying things that are you know ridiculous and things that no one should say on tv or even in their personal life sure shouldn't have said it but he was so caught off guard that these things started spewing out of his mouth and he was fired the next day and his entire life was was over ruined he became the subject of multiple newspaper articles for week and it and pointing to a race problem because he didn't know and it was it was the use of civil rights law like people did not want to be in a lawsuit because of this man and so they fired him they fired him for saying the wrong thing and the lesson has been sort of learned you could say by people that it's better to be silent than have your life ruined that's just kind of where people have gotten in 2015 was the final victory for political correctness. And it cemented for the foreseeable future, the problems that come from saying the wrong thing in an ever increasing intersectional, intersectional politically correct world. So in 2015, the Supreme court decided without law to pass or to legalize same-sex marriage. Now, if you know anything about American civics, Supreme Courts don't legislate. That is not their job. But ever since civil rights law has come with a lot of stuff, it's good law, but it has become misconstrued and lawsuits create precedents and precedents gets pressed into other cases. And now it's gone so far that civil rights law as understood by the Supreme Court of the United States is effectively a legislative branch. So instead of representatives that you elect legislating, they just spend money. You have They spend money on stuff you don't care about while the Supreme Court legislates on stuff you do care about. And all presidential elections for the foreseeable future are now based on essentially who's going to pick the right judges quotation mark right judges and ever since the obergefell decision in 2015 that was the one that legalized same-sex marriage there has been an acceleration of how civil rights law has been used and you got to understand when you talk about things like wokeism when you talk about things about like political correctness when you talk when you have those conversations with people who are like oh you can't say that that is political correctness working in the background with the force of civil rights law behind behind you, which is why I actually, so I'll tell you a story that I just remember from my life. When I was 22, I was 22, I believe, I was working at this IT company for a bank. And um, I had gotten this job from a friend. I was not good at this job. I was only there like six months before I, was, I quit. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm done here. <laughs> but while I was working there, I found this website that I thought was hilarious it was a hilarious blog website called stuff white people like and it's an entire blog dedicated to making fun of things white people pretend to like like classical music barack obama uh what else was on there having tea um walking barefoot there's just stuff that like only white people really do and it was like a really really funny well-written blog 
And so I sent it to some people in the company because I was like, this is hilarious. You have to read this. And next thing I knew, HR was on my back accusing me of sending out racist emails. And I was like, are you like, what? Wait, what? What? Everyone in this company is white. What? This is hilarious. That is the curse of political correctness as backed by civil rights law. HR departments are terrified, terrified of ending up in a lawsuit. And ever since that Obergefell decision, everything has become, you know, racist, homophobic, and you name the phobic. Men are pretending to be women, dominating their sports, and they're dominating women's bodies with strength that does not disappear just because they pretend it does not exist. But it's a hate crime to say that it's wrong or that that's vile or it's despicable or that it shouldn't be done. Grown men are dressing as sexual predators in libraries and classrooms, and any attempt to have it stopped leads to arrest and outrage. Women have been convinced that they must sacrifice their babies for their career and economic mobility, which is the same thing as offering your child a bail for a better crop. Protest on this, and you might find yourself in prison for 11 years, even at 84 years old. This is the state of the world. No wonder my friend feels defeated. And like we can't even have we don't even really have space on this podcast right now to talk about the nonsense of a national divorce, because only in the United States of America could you come to believe that a divorce actually solves your problems, not enhances them. But maybe, maybe allowing political correctness to silence a majority of Americans like it's a, a majority has created a problem that we didn't mean to create. We who love this country have accepted defeat, hiding ourselves in our homes with our phones, saying things we don't believe to appease people we dread to talk to. Like we're okay to talk quietly to people who see the same things that we see, which if you have enough private conversations seems to be most people. But when the self-appointed politically correct police are around, silence. Because few people are as intolerable as the self-appointed, politically correct police. You all know who I'm talking about. You have a, you probably have a friend who's a politically correct, probably not a friend, but you end up around the person who's the politically correct police, policing everything anyone says and ruining all the fun of everybody. And we have, we might have adopted the mindset of Hezekiah, allowing all that we cherish to be given to those who would destroy it. Hezekiah's great mistake was thinking there will be peace and security in my lifetime. That's in, in Kings and in Isaiah, the convoys from Babylon come and look at all that he has. And and God says like, they're going to come and destroy it. And he's like, oh, okay. There'll be peace in my days, not for the future. I don't care. I'm not looking at the future. I'm looking at my days. There'll be peace in my days if I appease these people. But that's a one way of self-silencing. Then there's the another way that people have kind of retreated, you could say, from the cultural problems that are just oh so prevalent. I seem to have a similar conversation all the time about people who don't want to have kids because and one of the reasons they give is I don't want to put my kids in this crazy world. I'm like, okay, I get that. Many, it's, this is called being a dink. Uh, if you, you've probably heard the phrase, dinks made their way online uh, last month. Dink means dual income, no kids. Now, to be fair to some, all of my friends out there who are dinks, who are dual income, no kids, there are some dinks who cannot have children. They are dinks, not by choice. They'd love to have children, but they can't. 
So they're, they both work and they dedicate themselves to good work and they just can't have kids. And we pray that they can eventually have the kids that they want. Now there are some dinks who, <laughs> it's such a funny name. Some dinks have chosen not to have children so that they can devote themselves to good work. I know plenty of couples like this. They've chosen, I'm not going to have kids and I'm going to dedicate myself to serving other people. Great. Okay. I know some dinks who plan on eventually having children but they're looking at their life circumstances and they're like, now just probably would not be a wise time. Okay, fair, great. And then there's some dinks who make videos on social media promoting a lifestyle of a grown child. And the ones who posted videos online that went viral about promoting a lifestyle of a grown child, they deserve to be made fun of because they're dinky. Instead of having a child, they choose to remain a child. In their videos, I'm not kidding, Every single man in this video talked about Costco snacks, kind of like a child does. My child asks for snacks all day, every day. I want a snack. I want a snack all day, every day. And these gentlemen all talked about being able to go to Costco and buy snacks. Now, I have, I have kids. I can go to Costco and buy snacks. They're great. I love Costco snacks. They all, all these men had a soft belly like a child does. They repeated everything his woman told him to say like a child does. It becomes very obvious in the video. If you watch these videos, these dinks videos, you can tell that this was scripted by a woman. It was not scripted by a man. It's very, very easy to tell that these gentlemen are just repeating whatever their wife told them to say. And they boasted about the playtime they get to have like a child does. Playtime being going on whatever vacations they wanted to go on whenever they wanted. That was the essence of these videos. That's what they all talk about. They talk about snacks. They talked about being able to sleep in. They talked about uh, snacks again. They talked about snacks a lot. They talked about going on vacation and they talked about spending money and buying themselves stuff. That's what these dinks. These are not dinks that can't have kids. These aren't dinks that don't or that don't want to devote themselves to good work. They're not dinks that plan on having kids. These are guys that these are dinks that just want to have snacks at Costco and sleep in on a Saturday, which is dinky. And dinks make up. 43% of U.S. households, half, and it's a form of retreat. It's because, again, many people, not the people who made the videos, the people who made the videos, they just want to eat snacks. But many people that I talk to don't want to bring children into this crazy world. And honestly, like you look around, and you're like, I kind of I don't really blame you. I understand why you would not want to do that. I don't agree, but I understand why you would want to. And it's a way of retreating from the dark world. It's a way of saying like, hey, if I don't have kids, well then I'm more likely to not have to stand up for what's going in the community because I'm less affected. Things, your perspective on life shifts drastically when you have children. Suddenly things that you didn't notice before happening in culture, culture or in politics matter at a different level because you, there's almost like this instinct of, I have to do something for my posterity, for my kids' future, or it's going to be a really, really crappy upbringing for them, and I'm going to be handing off a world that's not fair to them if I don't do something. And so, you know, I think dinks are a form of retreat. And again, 
Not all dinks, not the dinks who can't have kids, not the dinks who have devoted themselves to good work because the dinks who have devoted themselves to good work are taking their place in the world. And so the dinks who are planning on having kids, they're looking at their circumstances like it wouldn't be wise for me to do this right now. I would get that. I'm talking about I'm talking about the dinks who eat at Costco. <laughs> Those snacks were designed for children with and families of six. Come on. Yet, yet. So we have cultural problems abound. You got dinks, you've got Civil rights being used in a or in the wrong way, not for what it was intended. You've got political correctness, you know, crazing through our world. All of our institutions are falling apart. Like you and I, you can see, you can see it now. It's not invisible anymore. You can see it, and yet, as problems abound, and as people retreat, and as people look only to their own interests, there remain those who keep the spirit of America and its ideals alive. There are some who refuse to allow the times to defeat them. And I'm going to be one of them, and I hope you're going to be one of them too. In America, a peaceful protest can become a catalyst that leads to a better union. So I talked about the four black college students with the courage to peacefully protest laws against human dignity led to others standing up in courage to have those laws completely eradicated. So you could be defeated about the 11 or the people, the six people who are getting 11 years in prison, or you can recognize that could be a catalyst for a turning point that, rids our country of the horrific nature of abortion. You could you could look at it very differently. The like the abortion clinic sit-in protest with brave youngsters and like I said most of them were young could be a catalyst to win this country's fight for life. The right to life is one of our most sacred and god-ordained rights. It's it's the it's got to be the primary right because if you don't have life, nothing else, none of your other rights matter. And those who protested gave up their life so that the unborn might have life. That's what their protest is. And those who kill the unborn are unwilling to give up their life so that a child may live. The dings who post about snacks online, they're also willing up to give up, they're unwilling to give up their life so that a child might have theirs. But there are 40% of U.S. households with kids, and they're increasingly seeing that they must take the future into their own hands by educating their own children or finding them in different schools or getting in job, involved in school boards. You could say a lot about millennials. You can give them a hard time for a lot of things. But millennial-aged fathers, I'm one of them, are some of the most involved fathers in the modern world. There, I don't know if more fathers have been involved than millennial fathers. They see, they've seen the problems of fatherless America, and they've altered their course to be more involved with their kids. They see the world around them and they know that the best way to ensure a grand future for their children is by imparting to them a better vision and better values. Many in our nation hold fast to the ideals set out in the Declaration and in the Constitution. They see that America has many stains, but they, you know, they know that the world is a better place because the ideals triumphed. And these are the common men. They're doing their common duty to his to their family, to their community. The common man is doing his duty to his church and to his place of work. The common man knows the ideals set forth. They're not for him alone and for his own prosperity and his own snacks at Costco, but for his neighbor, for his children and his grandchildren. He believes that freedom of speech doesn't mean you can say whatever you want to say. That was popular when I was in elementary school. It's free country. I can say whatever I want. Like, no. Freedom of speech means that you can't be told what you cannot say. You cannot be told that to say a man can't be a woman or a woman can't be a man. The fact that that's even being censored is wild. 
wild. Freedom of speech means that you are not bound by those who are foes against righteousness and justice, and they insist that you must be silent. That's what freedom of speech means. It means that somebody cannot dictate what you must say. And it's the common man in his common work that creates space for thriving and freedom for his children. He's not enticed by the deceitfulness of riches and profit at any cost. He knows that soft living will create bad times for future generations. Theodore Roosevelt famously said that the things that will destroy America are prosperity at any price, peace at any price, safety first instead of duty first, and love of soft living and the get-rich-quick theory of life. The common man knows that any price is too much. And these people abound. They're everywhere. The common man sees that our institutions are are failing. Instead of despair, he will help build better ones in order to replace what has been lost. He sees that forgetting what is old is a detriment. He will insist in that he will instill in these new institutions what's old. Because he knows forgetting what is old is a detriment to society. And so he'll instill these new institutions with what is old. They'll be new for sure but they'll be old. The common man holding fast to the ideals of this great country built by common men who became great will pass on to his children and they will multiply his efforts. The common man happens to be over, overwhelmingly Christian. Christians of all types are the only ones having kids at a birth rate greater than replacement, which is good news for us. The abortionists and the dinks, they're not having kids. They will not be able to pass on their worldviews because they've ensured that no one will be around to hear it. And it's the common man living out the ideals of this great country who will guide his friends and his neighbors through this tumultuous time. And it's the common man that children will look up to as an example. It's the common man doing his duty who will restore hope to those who have lost it. Sure, yeah, the USA, dark time. Sure. We've got old men running for president. We've got cultural problems that you can't even hardly measure. We know it's a dark time. But just like in Lord of the Rings, everyone knows it. That was the first thing that struck me about when I read the Lord of the Rings for the very first time is everybody talks about the dark times and everybody hides while four hobbits and five other companions march towards Mordor. That blew my, that, that was the first thing I noticed that everyone knows it's dark times, strange times, and they all hid except for the nine who were marching towards Mordor and who would change the fate of, the enti- of all of Middle Earth. Dark times only pass when the common man ceases to be common by taking on the great task required of his times. The great task of our times is clinging to the ideals of this nation and not shirking the hard work of the world. This is not a time for self-interest. It's not a time for snacks. This is not a time to be dinky. Now is a time for the common man to remind himself that America remains exceptional because the common man has chosen an exceptional life. That is hopeful for our future we are not we cannot be defeated in a time like this you've got to understand it's a minority of people who are pushing political correctness abusing the law yeah the power structures they need new if you if you have any inclination to run for office that would be a good thing to do just don't become corrupted by it stay hold fast and the reason i say that is because yeah you know, America's in a dark time, but it doesn't even compare to other places in the world, which was the original point I had made in this podcast. And earlier today, I saw a video that had gone viral on X that caught my attention. And I thought, there is no way this is actually true. And it turned out it was true. And it was a speech from the president of El Salvador 
after his, it was during, I think the speech was given during his time in his first, his first term as president. He was elected in 2019. Okay. So if you don't know anything about El Salvador, El Salvador is the most dangerous country in the world to live. The El Salvador crime rate for murders is number one in the world. Number one. They are overrun with gangs. There are 6.8 million people who live in El Salvador. And in 2018, before this guy became president, there were 500,000 people in gangs. That's 7% of the entire population in violent gangs, murdering people left and right, making them the, the murder capital of the world, El Salvador. That's all in 2018. My wife had actually gone to El Salvador several years ago. I think it was like 2016, 2017, um, as part of a global health missions trip. You know, my wife's a nurse. She went down there to take care of people who don't have access to medical care. And she showed me these pictures and the living conditions of these people are just, they're horrible. And when they get sick, they don't have doctors. And so they have to live, they live in these huts with mosquito nets all around them because the bugs are so bad and they're they're laying these cots because they have no way to get healthy. Then their flesh starts to rot, which attracts a lot of bugs and it comes and like starts eating them. Like the, it's, it's a horrible, horrible living environment. And it's overrun by gangs. The entire political system was unbelievably corrupt. And this, the, there was no way this place was going to turn around. No, absolutely no way this was going to turn around. But this guy... His name, I hope I'm going to pronounce his name correctly, President Nayib Bukele, I believe is how you say his name, was just reelected for a his second term, and he won by the widest margin in world history for in a free uh, uh, contested democratic election. He won 88% of the popular vote, and he did it by doing this. Here's some stats. When... In 2019, when he wins the presidency, he announces the first thing he does is like sweeping reforms to crack down on crime and the gangs. 2020, this is remember murder, murder capital of the world. One year later, homicide rates are at a historic low. 2021, murder rates are down 59 percent since 2019. By 2022, murder rates decreased by an additional 50 percent. 2023, murders fall by another 70 percent. And then he gets reelected. They, they, they. He, by his reforms, by strengthening uh, the police force, and by deciding, hey, this is no longer going to wreck our country. He wiped out a majority of the gangs. I was just looking. Remember, five hundred thousand down to twenty-three thousand. That's what this guy did. Five hundred thousand violent gang members down to twenty-three thousand in four years as president, and. Here's the thing about this guy. One, he's Christian. Not He's a nominal Christian. He was born into a Christian family. His dad converted to Islam. And so he kind of doesn't have, based on his own words, he doesn't really have a religion, but he believes in God. And uh, he believes that Jesus is the Lord. He believes what's written in the Bible. But he, does, he doesn't say he's a, a religious Christian. So he's a nominal Christian. But he was a common man in a country that had no hope of turning itself around. And he decided not on my watch. So instead of immigrating somewhere, he decided I'm going to run for office and I'm going to do what I need to do to fix my home country. And the, what the video that went viral was a speech and I transcribed, I took the speech and I, 
got it transcribed so that we could, I just want to read it to you. I want to read what this common man who's now president, who just won the widest margin of victory in world history, just said, and I'm telling you, pay attention to this guy because he will probably be one of the greatest leaders in world history because of what he has done in El Salvador. He said this, for eight months, we have been fighting this war with the gangs. So this was right after his election in 2019. And thank God we are winning. This is a surprising victory that is nearly within our grasp. Let it be clear that glory is for God and it's God's glory. We are humans and we are lucky to be instruments of God, all of us, to bring peace, liberty, and happiness to El Salvador. We are the instrument to heal this land. Each of you is an instrument of God to do this. Peace is not reached through arguments signed between the corrupt sharing power among killers. Peace is built with hard work, with sweat, with effort, and with the bravery that your brothers and the police have. You must have something to be able to know that you are part of something greater than yourself. So I think it was supposed to say, you're supposed to have something deep in you that knows you are part of something greater than yourself. And it's that, and that it's worth risking your life for a purpose that is more important than yourself alone. It's values, values such as bravery, such as courage, such as strength, and such as discipline, patriotism, honor, and loyalty, and love for your fellow, fellow man. These are fundamental values of human society. These values are increasingly scarce in the world. If you watch the international news, you will see how the most important values for human beings, such as honor, loyalty, bravery, courage, and love for your fellow man are precisely the values that we are losing. And that's why you can see how societies that seem to have won are now degrading as they are losing the values that made them great. The values were strong in those lands, and that's why those lands grew and became great. But they are losing those values now. And on the other hand, in El Salvador, the values that previously degraded our country are gone and replaced with the greater values, the important ones. We are a nation on the rise. So, well, one, this guy, he talks like Theodore Roosevelt. So that I was like, yeah, here's a man who took it upon himself to say, I'm going to get my country through this. And he decided to run for office. But he's not just the guy who fixed it because there were thousands of police officers who followed him and stepped up to the call and said, we are going to put the end to the gang violence in this country. We're just, we're going to do it. And the speech is shot in an open field in front of the entire new police force that looks like it's got to be, I don't know, it looks it looks close to like five to 6,000 police recruits taking on the duty. And so because one common man stepped up, all the other common men stood up and he is pushing into his country values that we as Americans cherish. And so you can be defeated or you can remember that America remains exceptional because of the values that it was created to the ideals that built this country, ideals embodied in everyday common men doing their common duty to their wife, their kids, their job, their churches and their community. And you can turn a country around in the matter of years just by doing that. So yes, I believe America remains exceptional. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Institute of Men podcast. If you like this, please share this with a friend. If you didn't like it, well, just pretend you didn't listen and that helps us out too. My name is Keaton Tucker. And until next time, this is the Institute of Men podcast.